Welcome to today's webinar compiled and produced by the team at biznews.com. All of our webinars are interactive. We encourage you to pose questions to our guests. The more challenging, the better. And the earlier you get the questions in, the better the chance of having them answered. The recording of this webinar will be available later today on the biznews.com channel on YouTube. Welcome to the Biznews Finance Friday webinar. I'm Jackie Cameron for Biznews, and joining us today as our special guests are two independent financial advisors. We've got Vainant Ghaus, a wealth advisor with Gradage Mahura Investments, and Dawn Riddler of Karenga Wealth Ecology. Now, welcome to everybody who's joined the webinar as well. I just want to give you the heads up that we've got a bit of a technical challenge with our webinar provider today. So we, we can't actually see our guests right now, but you will be able to hear them and post your questions to them. So uh, welcome, Dawn. Can I think we can hear you there, Dawn? Yes. Hi, hi there, Jackie. Hi, so um, many of our regular attendees will be very familiar with Dawn. Dawn is a regular columnist for BizNews, and Dawn has a very interesting article on important steps to take when you go offshore this week. It's the 12 important money questions to ask when you go offshore. That's just one of many of Dawn's pieces on BizNews, and so we'll probably pick up on some offshore questions with Dawn shortly. And then we also have Venant Ghos with us today, and Venant is with... Gradage Mahura, a wealth manager, and Venant is a specialist in helping people bridge the gap from career into retirement. And you'll probably see that both Venant and Dawn have actually got MBAs in addition to their rather impressive list of credentials. So that probably gives you an indication that you need to be quite highly qualified to actually give independent financial advice. Venant, thank you for joining us today. Hi, thanks, Jackie, and hi to everybody listening in today. So, um, Vainant has also got an interesting article on BizNews, and this is about how we can do more with our tax planning. Uh, Vainant, perhaps um, we can you can just take us through some of the details while we wait for people to post their questions in the box. Uh, let me just put the present your presentation up here. Um, so, Vainant, saving tax in retirement, people think of tax as a bit of a boring issue, but how important is it really to think about the tax implications? Um, I, I do think you're quite right. People often think about tax as the last thing on the list, and, and it's quite right. You shouldn't plan everything around tax, but it should be part of your overall plan. Um, but we deal with a lot of retirees, and I think often the reason why it's so important, we see people at retirement who didn't do appropriate planning pre-retirement and now sit with a massive tax bill. So I think it makes an absolutely massive difference. And doing a few things right, you can actually um, get a, a guaranteed tax saving for 30 years in retirement, which is, uh, yeah, mind-boggling. Well, thank you. So Vainant has also got a very interesting piece up on BizNews this week about how to save tax in retirement. And he's just going to take us through some of his key points uh, before we start taking questions. So 
Bernard, would you like to just um, take Thanks. us through the ideas that you had in your article? Cool, thank you. And, and uh, Jackie did ask me to keep it short, so we'll keep it nice and focused and leave room for questions. Um, I'm going to chat about five, five uh, principles. The one is just sharing the tax load. Um, secondly, again, the importance of tax-free savings. Um, then thirdly, one that's often looked at as boring, but it's actually uh, quite exciting, is utilising dividends for retirement um, and how to use your discretionary investments widely, wisely. And the last one is retirement annuities. It's lost for reason because often it's oversold and it actually is not that effective in retirement. So if we go to the next slide, um, sharing, sharing the tax load really is about just planning for both spouses or partners. And, and if you think about our tax system, um, you know, basically um, most of the allowances are per individual. So the tax table is per individual, um, tax-free savings is per individual, interest exemptions is per individual. So, so really thinking about both partners is often quite important. And we again really do see it at retirement where maybe both spouses weren't professionals and now we can allocate stuff a lot more effectively. It helps to do it a lot longer before retirement than trying to get it perfect um, at that day in retirement. Um, but yeah, um, sharing the load is the, the first very simple principle. Then leading on to that is tax-free savings, which is the next slide. Just a reminder, most of the listeners are probably quite informed. Um, so tax-free savings, in essence, you can save 36,000 Rand per annum now, a lifetime limit of half a million Rand. And again, importantly, the longer you start that before retirement, the better. So, I mean, very simply, if you start saving 14 or 15 years before retirement to bulk out or max out your um, 36k per year, you should end up with roughly one and a half million or so, assuming a sort of balanced fund type return. For a couple, that's three million rand. And again, if you have built up three million rand in a tax-free vehicle at retirement, you can now start using that income in retirement um, tax efficiently and reducing your overall tax burden. So it is a fantastic strategy, but you, you've got to start it way before retirement. I chat to people again daily who in retirement start asking, is it too late? Because they never did it. Uh, it's never too late, but it's, it's the earlier start, the better. And then leading on to tax-free savings is going to the next one. Thank you, Jackie. And dividends, often thought is this very dull and boring, um, and we can come to the sexy stuff after this, but in essence, a dividend portfolio is again something you can start way, way before retirement. This is a simple example. There are many of these, be it SA or local. There are lots of companies that specialize in dividend bias portfolios. In this particular example, it looks at a concentrated dividend portfolio, looks at a 20-year track record. The amazing thing about it is had you started a dividend portfolio 20 years back, at that point, the income or dividends would have been 3.8%. Because of the nature of dividends, you're investing into a company, company earnings grow, you share that growth in earnings, is that 3.8% um, dividend on initial capital has grown in 20 years to now 48% dividend or income that you can get on investment. That's a fantastic retirement um, strategy. In essence, you're getting a growing income stream. Um, it's tax efficient. Um, in addition to that, you get capital growth, um, and you see this particular portfolio is sort of 12.3% over, over that term. Um, and if you think about the most important thing, in retirement, one of your biggest costs is uh, medical aid, medical inflation according to Discovery CPR plus 5. 
um, you need to find something to keep track of medical inflation and this is a perfect edge for those high costs in retirement. Um, thank you, Jackie. Next one. Okay. This is sort of a summary table also talking about the retirement annuity point. Um, and in essence, you know, retirement annuities probably benefit the salesperson often a lot more than the retiree. So remember that the, the sort of thesis put forward is that if you buy an RA in retirement, it reduces your tax, you get a bit of extra growth in the retirement annuity itself. But remember, if you need a certain income, like 32K in this example, is to get that same income, you actually need to increase your overall income. So let's assume a living annuity, you need to take a higher income from the living annuity, that increases your overall tax burden. There is a slight tax benefit, but because of this high income from a living annuity, you need to now make up for that with the growth in the RA. And those two things really doesn't add up to a better outcome for the investor. Marginal tax saving, on the capital side, if you run the numbers, um, you're not much better off than just keeping your money in the RA and the living annuity, not taking the RA. The two scenarios on the right-hand side, scenario two and three, is a lot more effective. The one is very simply where you take half your income in a taxable vehicle, living annuity, traditional annuity, and the other half in example dividends. Dividends are taxed at source, it doesn't increase your taxable income, um, but massive saving in tax. So in that case, you bring down your tax rate from 20% to 10%, that's a 72,000 rand annual saving. If you do it for both spouses, like my previous example, it's 140,000 rand annual saving. And again, if you look at that as a guaranteed tax saving for 30 years in retirement, and lots of people struggle to get a 10% return. If you can get a 10% tax saving for 30 years, um, it's worth to think about it effectively. Then you can start talking about in the underlying vehicles, how do you get offshore exposure? The third example is the similar principle, but just instead of putting everything in dividends, you start using all of the stuff I spoke about, use a bit of dividends, use a bit of tax-free savings, and use a bit of discretionary investments, which I haven't spoken about. But in essence, that's your unit trust portfolio, your offshore portfolio, building up other stuff that you can utilize in retirement for income. There is potential CGT, but if you manage that effectively, um, you can again do it quite tax effectively between yourself and your spouse. Um, that's the summary. So in short, lots of better ways to get tax efficient, efficient income in retirement, um, but RAs is probably not top of the list. Definitely not, not on our side. Thank you, Jackie. Jax, I think you've muted yourself, sorry. Sorry, it's not even Friday the 13th. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, Dawn, would you like to add anything yes. to that before we move on to your story? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't think we have enough time. You know, um, I have some uh, slightly different views on that. Um, but, you know, I'm going to be magnanimous today and not be too contrarian. Uh, you know, I, I do have, I mean, that was uh, um, an American example on dividends. And... I know a number of people in America, and the only way that they're getting any yield um, into their retirement portfolios is from dividends. So you can understand them using it. Uh, I think the one thing, the one misconception perhaps that people have is that um, 
dividends are tax-free. They're not they're tax-free in your hands, but they have been taxed at effectively 48%. Right? There's company taxes levied at 28%, and then uh, there's dividends withholding tax of another 20%. So they've already been taxed which is why the yield um, historically is quite low. It's usually around 2%. Um, and, you know, so if you're wanting a drawdown from your portfolio, 5%, 2% uh, dividend yield is, is going to be a bit rough. Uh, you know, and also, obviously, with a dividend portfolio comes the same volatility and risk that you would normally get from... Uh, an equity portfolio. So while while we certainly use it, um, my emphasis prob probably be be elsewhere. I I do think there's a, a certainly a place for um, retirement annuities. Uh, you know the tax savings are are really quite high. I mean you know perhaps Vernon was looking at a sort of lower net worth um, individual where you know it's not quite as noticeable, but certainly with high net worth clients it can be really quite noticeable. Thank you. We've got quite a few questions coming through now. Vanant, do you have anything else to add or pick up on from what Dawn has just raised now? Yeah, um, I think, I mean, Dawn's very right spot on, on the dividend strategy is this year probably most people won't get any dividends. In that long-term picture, is quite right as well, or, or not no dividends. There might not be increases depending on your portfolio. So I think it's, as always, um, you know, if one looks at putting a strategy together is none of these things work in isolation. It depends on the bigger picture. And the big thing is how do you augment your retirement strategy, which in many cases dependent only on one element, often only a living immunity element. By augmenting it with different portions, even after tax, um, you know, that number Dawn mentioned is quite, quite right or quite close. Long-term dividend yield in the SA is about 2.8%. The growing nature of that's quite interesting, and that's why you know, we don't propose that you start at retirement starting with a 2.8% dividend because then you're stuck exactly where Dawn says it's not enough to provide income. But if you start way before retirement, at retirement, that yield is suddenly now 7, 8 or 9%. It's not, and I must say, similar to Dawn, it is not our primary strategy where we're saying it is the be-all and end-all. If you're augmenting your core strategy, it adds to it. It's additive to a broader thing, but it's not the only thing that one should look at. Thank you. Right, let's move on to some of the questions. Our first question today is from Etienne, who says, Danke Fader for Magnus and Dawn. He says he has an LA, half of it is invested overseas through unit trusts in the LA, the other half in local bonds and money market unit trusts. The local part covers 12 years of withdrawals. Now, this is quite a complicated question. It may, it may be that, Etienne, you need to book an appointment with an advisor. So, But just in broad brushstrokes, he'd like to know how do... Uh, how does Dawn and Bainant see the future of local bond unit trusts? He wants to reduce his local part to five years of withdrawals. What's the guideline from for a stable investment to withdraw an income? Dawn, yeah, would you local, like yeah, local bonds have really been the backbone um, to a lot of my retiree portfolios over the last um, five years and are continuing to in the future. In fact, to the extent, with so much volatility um, going on out there in the market, one of the things that uh, we're inclined to do is um, ensure a, an income block, ensure that income block, and that's usually by using bonds, uh, not bond unit trusts. Bond unit trusts somehow, I, I, I don't know why, they 
oh, they stuff it up always, hey? Um, they're expensive, they miss benchmarks, I don't know what it is. My, my clients, we're, we're more inclined to, you know, go straight to the source and use bonds. I mean, if you're looking at the R186, you know, the 10-year ten, ten one uh, R186, you're getting well over 8% at the moment. Um, so yeah, bonds are a, a crucial part of any retirement fund, but really it, it depends on how you do it because the ETF bond, bond ETFs also, they're not great somehow. I, there are one or two exceptions when it comes to the fixed income unit trusts that, that work quite well, but they, they're quite few and far between. You have to have to diversify or actually get a bespoke asset manager who goes straight into the bond auctions and actually buys the, the, the bonds themselves. Thank you, Dawn. Vainant, what would you like to add to that point? Um, not much to add to Dawn. As she mentioned, um, bond yields has been absolutely fantastic. Most managers are overweight, so depending if you get that directly or do your own allocation, um, you know, they have been awesome. The, um, I mean, the yields are 8-9%. The FSCA recently updated the recommended drawdowns on living annuities. So back to answering the question, what type of income should you take? Uh, and I mean, it is back to that sort of magical 5% number, you know, if you're 65 or um, 65 to 70 is on a portfolio, if structured right, the, the sort of max income you should be taking is 5%, depending on how it's structured, and that's probably not only in bonds, you need something else to give a bit of growth in the portfolio as well. Thank you. Kathy says she paid into she paid too much into her retirement annuities, far more than the original allowance by SARS. She wants to know how far can she go back to claim those excess payments against her current assessment. Is that even possible, Vainant? Uh, not against current, but it does um, work towards you when you retire eventually. So at retirement, you've got a tax-free amount for half a million rand or so, and any contributions that weren't deductible before adds to that. So if an example she contributed, let's make it an easy number, uh, 50,000 rand, which she could not deduct at retirement, that adds to a tax-free amount at that stage. Um, i just um, yes. add one thing here, Jackie, because I have come across um, situations where um, people have paid too much into their re retirement annuity, and it hasn't been registering on the SARS side. You should pick up what's called, uh, you know, the um, disallowed contributions i think is what they call it on the it12 um and those you should pick up on your it12 every year if those um contributions aren't there sars is not picking it up and uh, you're good luck getting them to find them back into the you know into the past it just ain't gonna happen thank you dawn Kathy would like to know, are unit trusts the same as a dividend-based investment? So perhaps we can just take a step back here, Vanand. Perhaps you could just briefly explain what a, what a dividend-based investment is and what a unit trust is and, and where the opportunities lie to generate a dividend yeah. income. Um, 100%. So, I mean, philosophically, a dividend-based strategy is where um, someone, an asset manager or stockbroker or someone who puts together a portfolio of um, basically investments, so, so companies and shares, and that have a long track record of providing excellent dividend payouts. And it's normally not your high tech growers because they normally invest back into the business. So it is normally a lot more stable companies. So in theory, it's a portfolio of shares um, 
that have a good and consistent track record of paying dividends, and normally those type of shares have a bit of a value bias as well. Um, you can decide how to access that. If you're accessing it locally, you can do it via stockbroker that puts together a portfolio for you with a dividend bias. Um, you can also do it via Unitrust as well locally. Um, if you do it offshore, you need to be careful in how to do it, because remember, most um, Unitrusts or open-ended investment companies offshore have roller basis, so it might defeat your objective. If you want to get income in an offshore portfolio, then you'd actually do it through a direct stockbroking portfolio. Um, where the dividends are actually distributed, and most similar to, to this side, most of the countries got it with all tax and dividends. So again, it works on a similar basis to, to back in SA. Um, but you can decide on the structure. They're also um, tracking dividend funds by Satric. So it's either a unit trust active, it's a stock-breaking portfolio, or it's, it's a passive portfolio. Thank you, John. Um, how much money do you really Jackie need? Yes, please continue. Um, there's, there's also Satrix uh, Divi, which is an ETF that um, is uh, yeah. dividend focused. And how much do you need to generate an income from dividends? Don't you need a, a rather large lump sum? Because dividends are quite small, aren't they? Well, you know, you can, as, as Wayne said, you can pick and choose, um, you know, uh, companies that produce larger dividend yields than, than normal. I mean, uh, I've had a case in point recently where a client had a substantial portfolio of Billiton. Uh, and Billiton last year, the dividend yield was only 7%. Uh, this year, not so much, right? Mm -hmm. um, but that, you know, that's one of the things is, is that when you take on a dividend portfolio, you take on a risk portfolio and you need to understand that the underlying shares uh you know can can move around but um you know that if you're looking for a five percent yield then you're going to have to have double the the lump sum that you would have had if you were just if you're using a variety of other instruments including for example bonds and stuff thank you vanna did you have something to add to that no, no nothing on that jackie happy for the next questions Okay, so Tracy wants to know, would you retire out of the retirement annuity and then invest in what? So she's getting the idea that you're not very excited about RAs, but where should she go? She, she's talking about retirement there, hopefully not, not the leading up to retirement. And it was also, yeah. also maybe specific, my point, RAs are fantastic leading up to retirement. So, so I mean, back to um, Dawn's earlier comment, the tax benefits are absolutely fantastic leading up to retirement, um, you know, Fantastic product and structure, still that issue that um, in the retirement need to limit and offshore, but the structure is fantastic leading up to retirement. We do have a different view after retirement. We've crunched all the numbers on that. Uh, we don't think it's great after retirement. That, that's probably a whole separate issue. Um, but now in retiring from RA, the options, remember, aren't that fantastic. It's basically back to a living annuity, a traditional annuity, or a hybrid annuity. It's what you, we're now talking about retirement. After you've taken your cash, you can take your one third or half million rand in cash. After that, you have to buy something for income. Um, the living annuity, as we know, provides a bit more flexibility. So in the living annuity, you can put everything offshore up to 100%. Um, you can put everything in ETFs, you can go into all ID type stocks. So in the living annuity, you've got flexibility to make it either as sexy as you want to, or as robust as you want to. And they're not always the same thing. A robust portfolio is obviously is sometimes not not um, you know you know all that sexy. So that's option one. The second thing, which um, is certainly not spoken about a lot, but 
there has been a bit of airtime this year around it on the traditional annuities. Now back to this whole point that bond yields are so high, that's one of the inputs that goes into the pricing of um, traditional guaranteed life annuities. We've helped a lot of clients this year in integrating traditional life annuities into their portfolios, either as some sort of a combination with a living annuity or what they call a composite or hybrid inside living annuity. It suits people that want certainty, so it's not the thing that's going to be absolutely fantastic in, in returns. Um, and also given the high bond yields, in many cases, the income we could provide clients was significantly better than what, what you can do in living annuity. The downside is there's no um, ability to bequest the assets. Um, but for many people, that's become quite a big option in trying to get a better income. So those are your options, um, living annuity, life annuity, um, hybrid, or some sort of combination between those. Thank you. Dawn, anything to add to that before we move to the next question? Yeah, um, you know, Jackie, I'm seeing a lot of sort of uh, people that are really nervous um, around uh, retirement annuities and, you know, there's there's quite a lot of hype around, you know, for God's sake, get out of your retirement annuities as quickly as you can. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, don't make a knee-jerk reaction like that because once you've done it, you can't undo it. So please get financial advice before you do it and, and go through the numbers with the financial advisor because, um, you know, the, this is often somebody's biggest retirement asset, um, you know, if, if, especially if it includes things like preservers and, and that kind of thing. Um, and really you don't want to... Um, for example, you know, people who are taking large lump sums, you know, the first, on retirement, the first 500,000 is tax-free, and thereafter you're taxed on the lump sum, but, you know, up up to 37%. You know, it, it's, um, you know, when you see somebody taking, wanting to take, uh, you know, on average over the sort of 18%, 26%, 37%, taking 30% not, you know, writing, basically writing SARS a check, for 30% of their lump sum because they want it as cash, I want to cry because, you know, and you just sit down and work how long it takes, how long it took you to actually save that 30% that, that you're giving away to SARS because you want the cash. Um, you know, I just, I just if, if nothing else comes out of this, it's just for goodness sake, take a breath, get some proper advice from somebody who's not a sensationalist, and and do it properly. Yeah. I can hear you saying, mm, you've got something else yeah, to say. Yeah, I 100% agree there with Dawn. You know, after someone saved so long for a retirement annuity, you know, to pay the tax on that, there, there might be very, very specific personal reasons why you'd want to do it, but to do it on the back of, um, you know, media commentary or concern around uh, political environment, um, it's got to be the right financial reason to do it. Um, so, so you've got to go through the work and sitting with a financial advisor to see what the right answer is. Um, but, but yeah, it, as Dawn says, it does break your heart if you see people pay 36% tax on money they save for their whole life, their, their biggest saving. Right, let's move to the next question. Etienne says, are money market unit trusts a better investment than bonds, particularly in a living annuity to draw monthly income from? Bainant, would you like to pick up on this one? Um, I'll maybe sketch the landscape and then, then go back to it. Um, so 
So, I mean, there's a range of fixed interest type of instruments. And I mean, you, you can broadly kind of bucket them into the conservative stuff, and that, that's money markets, so kind of short dated money market instruments, um, kind of trying to get a bit more than what you're going to get in the bank. Then after that, you get sort of the variable money market funds that take on a bit more risk and they go into bonds and maybe a bit of corporate credit and one or two other things. And then you get the bond funds themselves that only go into bonds. Um, you certainly, if you do want to get a decent return, you probably want to be biased towards the last two. So either a hybrid type of um, money market or fixed income vehicle where the manager can move between different type of uh, money market type instruments or a, a bond fund or pure bonds like Dawn does where you can actually draw the income off that with fantastic yields. The benefit of the middle one is the managers will actively manage that yield curve um, or duration of the fund, which at times there are risk. You know, if you see a spike in interest rates now, bond funds are gonna suffer. And if you're not managing that actively, and then someone needs to do it on your behalf. So if you're not sitting with an advisor to manage that for you, um, then you probably want to be in a in a sort of like managed fixed income type of fund uh, would be my recommendation. Money markets, in my view, is basically for emergency stuff. So when you've got your emergency fund, your three to six months income, whatever the right number is for you, um, that's the money market. It's got no no volatility. You can access it nice and quick, but it's not for longer term investment stuff. Thank you. Um, Dawn, do you have anything to add to that before we move to the next no, question? I no, I, I, I concur. But um, look, you know, when when you're choosing a bond fund, look very hard at the fees um, because, uh, you know, those fees can, you know, really be out of kilter and erode your investment quite badly. So, um, but there are some, there's some pretty good ones out there. There's some pretty good ones out there. It's just a matter of finding them, getting your advisor to find them. So Avish actually does want to know, is there a bond ETF that could be recommended? Do you have any recommendations or perhaps ones to stay away from? You've mentioned the high costs. I haven't got any that I recommend and I don't disrecommend. I don't. Okay. Thank you. I, I, right. I, I don't. Yeah, not other people. Yeah, but there's there are no bond ETFs I would recommend at this point. Okay, thank you. Um, Dawn, there's a question here which ties into the article which we published on BizNews this week about mm -hmm. your uh, your advice on going offshore. And perhaps before mm -hmm. we take the question, you could sketch out this whole issue of the tax when you go offshore. And you were talking about CITUS tax. Is that how you pronounce it? CITUS. CITUS. Could you just CITUS. sketch out yeah, CITUS tax? Yes, CITUS, well, it's a Latin word for, for location. And all CITUS taxes is really the estate duty that is, is, is applied in a particular location, right? Um, so if, for example, you've got uh, money invested in America, in US stocks, say you've got it in Apple or whatever, as soon as that amount gets over $66,000, um, you would be, uh, anything over that would, um, CITUS tax would apply. And their CITUS tax is 40%. Our CITUS tax, our estate duty, is 20%, right? So it's uh, particularly when it comes to America, because $66,000 is actually, obviously in South African terms, it's way more money than we think it is. But um, And in the UK, it's a much, it's a much higher amount, it's 300, £350,000. Uh, but there again, the CITUS tax is 40%. Um, so when you've got these offshore investments, um, 
that is one thing to pay particular attention to. Now, if you're a South African tax resident, um, you know, and or a yeah, resident in South Africa, it doesn't matter where your assets are in the world, you will be, um, you know, a state duty will apply. Um, but you won't get double tax. So SARS will take into consideration any CITES tax you might have paid in America or the UK, but you've already paid 40%. So you've already paid double what you would have paid here. And, and on. Now, the ways of getting around this um, by using um, mutual funds or, you know, wrapped or, you know, what we call unit trusts and this kind of thing, there are various ways of getting around it. Uh, there are other ways of getting around it by making sure that you use a, a much more tax agnostic location. Um, it, this is, I mean, CITES tax is one of the reasons, uh, you know, I, I prefer to use Switzerland um, because there's, it's not only CITES tax, but some of these um, locations have um, requirements that you have to have a will in that country um, and it has to be lodged in that country, you know, drawn up and lodged and the, um, the, the probate officer has to live in that country. So, you know, if you're wanting to change that will often, that's going to cost you money. Um, you know, whereas if, if you go somewhere where it's maybe a little um, less tax agnostic, Switzerland isn't the only one, there are a number of them, um, that your local will will apply and then you can, um, then you know that you're not, um, so you're not, uh, that the two wills aren't going to contradict themselves because that's one of the biggest problems as well with this offshore is that say you've got money in another location um, that requires a will, maybe Guernsey or something like that, and you change the Guernsey will and now your South African will contradicts it, you know, it's it's going to run into problems with your state. So, you know, the the whole, it's it's all around um, estates you see that, and, and the winding up of estates that you have to take into consideration. So, a very complicated business. Vanna, do you have anything to add to that? <laughs> Um, yeah, I'll just add to it, and, and as Dawn mentions, it is very complicated, so I think therefore it's important again to find, to work with someone that's got a structure that works for you. And, and I, I mean, Dawn did mention it in, in an article as well, the simplicity part. So for many people, it's not required to get trusts and to be very complex, but it is important to get a structure that avoids um, probate and scientists. And, and there's many different ways to do that um, and available through many of the SA or global providers. So you do want a simple structure that avoids probate and um, CITES um, and it doesn't have to be really very complex to, if, if your intent is to get money offshore, it's not that difficult to get the right structure if you do get the right advice obviously. Thank you. Now a lot of people have been very interested in, in investing in uh, stocks offshore and there's been particularly sitting in lockdown we've heard how more South Africans have turned to direct stock investing and uh, Merle sent us an email saying that uh, she opened a joint account with her daughter at an American stockbroking firm which is in the US and she's got $10,000 in one stock and 22000 in another and she basically wants to know now so in other words she wants to sort of retro Respectively, apply sort of some kind of tax limitation here. She says, "How can she do this? How can she avoid paying higher taxes? Does she need to go to Guernsey or Isle of Man?" So, what do you do? You've opened your stockbroking account, and now you think, "Oh gosh, now I'm liable for all these 
taxes? What's the next step, Dawn? How do, what, what should people do? Um, you know, well, the American sort of tax and investment and CITES and all that kind of thing is geared basically to Americans. They want Americans only to invest in America and nowhere else. So, you know, Americans can't open bank accounts in Switzerland, for example. I mean, you know, it's one of the questions on the Swiss bank account application forms is, you know, are you an American green card holder? So, um, and so as a South African now owning a bank account or trading account or whatever it is in America, um, you're going to get mixed up in a whole bunch of hurt, right? And CITES is only, only one of them. Our recommendation usually is to extricate our clients out of America. You can still buy the same shares, but you don't do it with using an American platform. Rather use a Swiss platform or, or one of the other um, platforms. In order, and, and you can buy exactly the same shares and don't get um, caught up in, you know, America first and America only and all the stuff that's around um, actually physically having money in America. Thank you. Vainan, do you deal with this kind of problem much in your practice? Um, not, not as extensively. We deal a lot with helping people to externalize assets, um, but normally we facilitate that process versus where people have done it themselves. And we do try and, you know, if it's an SA client, we try and make it as simple for them as possible with structures that has been set up that works for SA clients. Um, we often do obviously find people that might be immigrating, moving offshore where the structure might be slightly something different. So it's finding the right structure, but for SA clients, you know, as Dawn says, don't get caught up in the complexities of an offshore jurisdiction if, if you don't understand it. And there's so many. So, so I think it's important to um, get something that works for SA clients that, that's been designed effectively for our, our, our clients to externalize assets. Um, Thank you. So we're getting, yes. Just, just one thing to, to add to that, you know, um, and I, I think I did sort of say it in my blog, but, you know, there are two considerations here. One is the location. Where physically are you going to operate this um, account or structural investment out of? Um, and then the next consideration is now that you've got the money in that structure or, you know, in that country or whatever it is, how are you going to invest it? Um, because, you know, getting it into that location is one consideration. Actually, then uh, picking and choosing those shares is a whole new ball game. What shares or unit trust or ETFs, whatever it is that you're going to, to do that. Um, and I think there is, um, there, you know, a lot of people who like to do it themselves. But there comes a time when you've built up a significant amount of money that you can't afford to lose it. Then, then best to like uh, cough up and actually get somebody to help you look after it properly, so that you don't um, you don't lose the whole lot because that can happen. Yeah, that could be cheap at the price. I, I think it probably is worth yeah. paying for some decent advice. And one of the biggest questions we often get is how do you find the right advisor? So if you want to go offshore, what kind of advisor should you be looking for, Dawn? What kind of questions should you be asking the advisor? You know, I, I think um, experience and understanding of of, of it is, is quite a, a big thing. Um, you know, you, you're probably not going to be able to get that advice from, the you know, your run-of-the-mill insurance broker or something like that. Um, but 
um, what I say, one of the sort of strategies I think works well for clients who just sort of dipping their toe into this rather than, you know, taking off 5 million rand or something like that is build up your portfolio here. You can use like the MSCI index, you know, on a matrix or ETFSA or whatever else. Build it up until it's around about, say, 500,000 rand or so, then foray um, offshore because then you will be able to, you know, uh, gain the interest of an advisor um, to, to help you do that. Um, and you will also have, during that time, have gained some understanding of how those offshore markets work. Um, and then, then moving across. But yeah, it's it, you know it's it's a difficult one. And and you know the thing is that I, I know Bernard, you talked a lot about these very South African structures, you know, made for South Africans and all of this kind of thing. And and you know I've looked at all of them and all the insurance companies and the ninety ones and the old mutuals, they all have these. But boy, when you start looking at the costs, you want to puke. Wow. Leonard, anything to add to that? Yeah, I think it depends on the, and Dawn kind of mentioned it, it depends on the size of the client as well. You know, so you've got to, if you're starting to externalize, there's many ways to do it relatively simple and easy as the client and the assets become bigger. Um, you can obviously access different platforms and different ways to do it, um, but cost is an issue. There's also many different ways to manage cost. Um, and also remembering there's three basic levels to cost. The one is your advice cost, so how do you manage that effectively? Um, the second one is your platform cost, and the third one is your underlying asset costs. Um, so it's how do you manage that whole value chain? It's not just about the one part, which is the administration platform. Thank you. We, uh, we're getting cl close to the end of our webinar, but uh, we've got time for two more questions. And Kathy asks, she really wants to know what is the factual situation when it comes to moving your money that you've been saving in products like annuities? How do you get it out of the country? Is it true that it's stuck? Spanant, you could just sketch out what are the what are the rules because we have been hearing a lot about exchange controls this week as well. So what money can you take offshore? What has to stay and how do you move it offshore? Broad brush strokes. Yeah. Um, so broad brush strokes, uh, for most people, there's very limited exchange control um, outside of their pension funds. You know, so you can take 1 million rand per person and with approval, you can take 10 million rand per person of your assets. So if you if, if you are feeling fearful and you do want to externalize stuff, your discretionary investments, your house, whatever you have, um, for the average person, there basically is not exchange control on that level. Certainly for very affluent people, um, that's different. But I mean, 1 million uh, travel allowance, and 10, 1 million discretionary and the 10 million rand um, investment allowance is quite a lot that you can take for many people. The key issue is obviously about pension funds. So also often, <laughs> I often get a bit of hate mail um, on the back of when we talk about these regulations. Remember, if you're in a provident fund at the moment, it's not an issue. It's not clear. Provident funds does not have to uh, buy a pension compulsory yet. So if you have a provident fund, you can cash it in. There might be tax. So many people might sit in that. It is very specifically if you're in a pension fund, if you're in a retirement annuity. And you can take your one third, which might be taxed or not. Your two thirds is what might be stuck in South Africa. You can only take your RA out on request for formal immigration. Um, so that's where the, 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 the bit of the limit comes in. And with that formal immigration, are there other implications like extra capital gains tax or, or any yeah. other tax implications? Dawn, would you like to pick up on that? 
Yeah, um, obviously, if you formally emigrate, um, it is a capital gains tax event on everything that you earn, um, whether you sell it or not. So if you've got, if you're leaving behind investments, it would become a capital gains tax event and those kind of things. But also on RAs, at the moment, you know, if you financially emigrate, you can um, cash it in and, you know, obviously take the tax and, and take it out. But they're now talk about um, forcing anybody who financially emigrates to wait three years before they can do that. Um, that is part of the sort of uh, the discussions that have been going around in the last couple of weeks. Um, and that's being considered for, for the 1st of March, which is what I think has got quite a few people people nervous because, you know, if, if um, people have been banking on using that provident fund amount or pension fund amount, um, you know, prior to prior to age 55, you know, to, to go and start somewhere new. Um, but now they have to wait three years before they can do it. It's a bit difficult. But that's just pension funds and RA. Thank you. And this also ties in with the last question. Both Olvain and Thomas want to know, they both are trading in global stocks via local companies. So one is trading through FNB Global Trader, the other one through Standard Bank. They want to know whether this CITES applies to them. Dawn, could you pick up on that? Theoretically, yes. Um, and um, even in places like Switzerland, theoretically, yes. Um, but uh, we have found up until now that um, CITES isn't, hasn't, in fact, been applied um, unless it's actually physically in the States. Um, although they have the ability to do it, they can turn around to FNB um, and, you know, when, you know, when the state comes to demand it, but they haven't been doing that um, to, to date. And, and the thing is that, you know, as soon as they do that, then you just switch everything into, into a mutual fund where they, where they can't. So I don't know. Yeah, potentially, yes, but realistically, they haven't yet. Bernard, is this a question that comes up in your practice? No, we haven't really had that. I think the only other thing might be often some of those structures are held in nominee accounts where it's not held in individual accounts. It also depends how that stockbroking account might be set up. So some structures run on a nominee account versus individual account basis, um, but not, not anything further to add to do on there. Okay, well, thank you very much, Vainant, for joining us today. And to everybody who's joined the webinar, you can read more about Vainant's views on biznews.com. And thank you also to Dawn Riddler of Karenga. She's also got a very interesting article on biznews today about the 12 important money questions for South Africans who want to invest offshore. And, of course, thanks to everybody for joining us. Um, we'll try and get to more questions next week if we couldn't pick up on them today. And, yeah, sorry that you couldn't see our panellists. But thank you very much for joining us. And um, you, have Jackie. a good birthday, Dawn. <laughs> thank you, Jackie. Thank you, everybody. Have a good, good, good weekend. You too. Right. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye, Jackie. Bye.